for an adult to walk into a new situation and be able to adapt is difficult. Now, imagine being a child having to adapt to multiple situations, you know, um, and the kind of loneliness that comes along with student mobility. Student mobility is one of the biggest challenges faced by both Oklahoma City and Tulsa school districts. For each year, thousands of students change schools during the year, for some students, several times. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, we speak with an Oklahoma City public schools official about the challenge of student mobility, which has only increased during the COVID-19 pandemic. In partnership with the Curbside Chronicle, a street newspaper in Oklahoma City, The Frontier recently published a story on the problem of student mobility in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. It offers a detailed and interactive look at how many students are on the move and the challenge that presents to students, families, and educators. You can find that story in the November issue of the Curbside Chronicle, which is sold by vendors at many Oklahoma City intersections. You can also find that story online at readfrontier.org. Dr. Marsha Heron is the Chief of Equity and Student Supports for the Oklahoma City Public School District. Dr. Heron, thanks so much for your time today. Equity is always an important issue in education, but it seems like especially this year, given the impact the COVID-19 pandemic is having on schools, students, and families. I want to talk to you about what your job looks like these days and also about the student mobility story you spoke with us about. But first, can you tell us a little bit about what the Chief of Equity and Student Supports does? Sure. Um, So in the newly designed um, division, there are five departments. Equity, which I'm a department of one in that area, so I take care of the equity initiatives, um, which includes the trainings connected to equity, any any things that we're doing in equity, like our SEEC, our Student Experience and Equity Committee. I'm the staff liaison for that. trainings for the board, um, for schools. Um, As a matter of fact, I'm doing one next week that looks at literacy and liberation and creating liberatory spaces um, using the virtual system. Then I also have health services, which deals with anything COVID related, including PPE and um, contact tracing. I also have um, teen parenting and school nurses in that area. Then I have mental health, which deals with, um, on some level, the Embrace OKC um, initiative. So I'm also over that particular uh, system of support for the district. And then we have student assistance counselors, social workers, and um, elementary counselors, and 504s. Then we have um, Native American Services, which is anything dealing with the Johnson O'Malley grants and all of our um, tribes with 39 tribes represented. And so they deal with um, everything related to Native American student services. And then my biggest department is student programming, which is after school programming, enterprise schools, charter schools, attendance and truancy, bullying prevention, 
um, foster care and homelessness, which is our HOPE program. Okay, that's quite a full slate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, on top of that, as the, the leader of the, the area, I also do keynotes. I sit on several task force for the Oklahoma State Department, including the equity task force, the, um, the educator diversity um, and quality task force, and then um, more recently, the, <clears throat> the educator one used to be the teacher shortage task force, and then more recently, the um, accountability task force for the state. And then um, we work with several other um, agencies through COSA, and we do like we're we're rolling out equity initiatives statewide and so OKCPS is kind of leading that work because they're using our adapted model <clears throat> from the um, Alliance for Resource Equity to um, kind of build out these platforms to teach other districts um, how to think about educational equity and what are the components that are required to do it and then um, yeah, it's a it's a lot of different things that I'm involved in, like too numerous to kind of name. But. Yeah, no, that's definitely a full slate. I'm sure you stay busy with all those those tasks. Uh, you know, when we started the student mobility story back in January, the first step was to get access to tons of student data from the state. And in doing so, we found that nearly one in three Oklahoma City students failed to remain at the same school for the entire year. And some schools had annual mobility rates of more than 40 percent. And at least 5,000 students attended three or more schools during the 2018-19 school year. Dr. Heron, what's the impact of so many students being on the move within a school year? And how challenging is that for educators and students? Um, it's very challenging. Uh, one, I think we talked previously about the ability to track students in, in various ways, right? So when you have students who have high rates of mobility and they're moving from school to school, if those schools are not aligned in their curriculum, or if they're not aligned in the scope and sequence, which is the pace at which they're moving along in the curriculum, um, the student has the opportunity to either be behind or in front of um, other students. I think it also leads to um, issues like behavioral incidences. So, you know, it, for an adult to walk into a new situation and be able to adapt is difficult. Now imagine being a child having to adapt to multiple situations, you know, um, and the kind of loneliness that comes along with student mobility, because, you know, I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert, you know, so it, <laughs> for, for somebody like me, um, it's exhausting to try to be on all the time or to, um, you know, create spaces around myself where I can meet people and and genuinely be comfortable immediately. And so, um, and and I'm an adult, right? So imagine if you're a kid and you're having to do that on a continuous basis. Um, imagine not having one trusted relationship with any adult in the school because you're not there long enough and you don't know them very well, right? And for a lot of kids who are in multiple situations where trust is important, you know, or trust is lacking, imagine what that leads to as well. So student mobility is more than just an academic issue. It's a, a whole child issue, you know, um, and there are multiple extraneous variables that are like rising to the surface that, that keep kids from being able to achieve in the way that they need to or really settle in in the way that they need to. 
I would expect that student mobility remains an issue during the pandemic, and maybe even more of a challenge when you consider the economic issues COVID-19 has created. Is that what you guys are seeing? Oh, absolutely. Um, we are taking some different approaches in student supports. This is why I like love this division. Um, there, first of all, everybody who is in the division really works with vulnerable populations. And so um, we kind of enjoy being the department of, or the division of vulnerable populations because what we do is really critical to um, sometimes the survival of our kids, right? And their families. So for example, in our, our HOPE area, um, which is our homeless education services, and even in our foster care areas and our teen parenting areas, um, we're doing things very differently. So for example, um, we have partnered with Public Strategies, right? Which they have an employment resource program, and then they also have what's called Family Expectations, um, which is a an 11-week program that folks can go through whether they're married or not, um, when they are expecting a child or for up to one year of the life of a child that teaches these really incredible strategies about how to be parents and how to work through your situation um, when your dynamic changes. So we get to have these teen parents, you know, who need that kind of instruction. My husband and I are graduate of the program ourselves, you know, um, when we had our first child. So we know how incredible it is to um, pick up on communication um, advice and, and strategies and work through them. And so as, as our, our teens are being connected to those programs, we, we have about 25 right now through that program that have gone into the employment resources and they do everything from um, education to preparation for interviews to, um, resume work to, you know, setting up these interviews and then helping people along three months after they've been hired. So we're also running that through our HOPE program. So we have what's called doubled up families where maybe you had somewhere to live prior to COVID-19 and then you got evicted and now you're living with another family, right? So that's an example of doubled up. You have um, couch homeless, you know, you have street homeless, um, we have unaccompanied minors, and these are the 15-year-olds, you know, 15 and above. But there's this, um, what we're learning even in our foster care programs, right? Because all of these things are connected, um, is that it's it's much more difficult for services for kids at 15 and above, right? So what are the things that we have to put in place um, as the district, right? So we're kind of going above and beyond in that. So imagine if if you were displaced because of COVID-19 and we're able to connect you to a, a resource like Public Strategies that will help you with, with you know, employment, right? We're, we're trying to move our families back to the space of, um, you know, where were you prior to COVID-19? So we're really trying to engage people in a way that we haven't before. As a matter of fact, um, for our attendance and truancy, we have the six truancy officers through uh, Oklahoma City Police Department. 
And I was able to sit down and meet with them and the truancy or the attendance advocacy team and say, we need to go on a hunt for kids, right? So we reached out to the schools. We asked for a list of kids who had not been heard from since March, you know, because we left March 13th. Um, we asked for kids who had not picked up a device. We asked for any child that they were aware of that they had not seen. We got them on a list. We put them in Google Sheets and then sent them to the officers. And we're like, we need you to do this way different where you go out and it's welfare checks, you know. And through this process, you know, when I get the updates from the attendance advocacy team, sometimes people are just happy to be found, right? And then when we find them, if we find that they qualify for our HOPE program now, then that opens up a wealth of services to them. You know, um, we delivered air beds last week. We're, um, I mean, it's just, it's a number of things. Like I just got an email this morning about um, another delivery of air beds and some groceries that were purchased for a family. So as, as, emails come in either directly or applications are made by folks who are just now enrolling or now that we're being more public and out there, you know, as the referrals are coming in from the schools, we're able to go in and um, really help people in ways that maybe we, we hadn't thought about. So even our tracking for information is different. You know, as I sit with the teams, I'm like, I want to know this, you know, I want to know where the kids are. I want to know if they have a device. I want to know um, if their situation has changed. I want to know where they're located, you know, like let's keep this tracking thing going. Um, and so we talked about a little bit differently, this other tracking system that we were working on that um, kind of looks like a dashboard. So we're, you know, it's, we, we have to think about things very differently. So even though students are on the move, if we can tag them in our system, it doesn't matter where they go. If they're still in Oklahoma City Public Schools, we can find them and make sure that their, their services remain the same, right? For a lot of kids in our HOPE program, even if they change locations, uh, we provide them transportation back to the, the home school where they were. So we really try to help to marginalize the instability, you know, in the lives of kids. And what COVID has really done for us is amped up the opportunity, you know, for us to really be creative and innovative in some ways that we had not been before. Finally, I, I want to revisit this challenging time we are in and the strain it has caused schools, especially districts like Oklahoma City. I'd like for you to give us some insight into what you believe the district's major challenges will be moving forward over the next several months and, and maybe even the next few years. But also, what gives you hope right now? What makes you believe that Oklahoma City Schools is up to the challenge? Okay, so the major challenges are always the number of students that we have because we're a very large district, right? Um, but I think other challenges that present themselves is really... Um, like finding folks that has that that has been one of the, the hardest and the toughest um, parts because sometimes people don't want to be found 
But um, what makes me hopeful is all the things that I've described thus far, you know, in terms of um, really thinking about things differently. We've also developed a relationship with Epic to be able to verify attendance, right? So if we do have students who are, um, we haven't heard from, we don't know where they are, we're in this inter-intra-district um, relationship, we're able to say, hey, is this student really where you are, you know, and can you verify? And then that helps us in a few ways because that, that helps us to look at um, lowering the dropout, what's considered our dropout rate. Um, it also helps us in terms of, you know, depending on what age they are, cohort um, graduation rates. We also are able to look at um, we, we work very closely with our shelters, you know, for our unaccompanied minors and then for our families. So I think that's the thing that gives me hope is that as um, we're sitting down in the, the various teams, people are energized and they're excited and they're, they're like, you know, there's something I can do. I've always had this idea and I want to, you know, see if this will work. And we're like, yes, let's see if that'll work. So I think it's, it's really renewing the spirit of people who do this work because it's very difficult. We hear a whole lot of situations on a regular basis that we have to make decisions about. Um, we're working with OCPD also um, through what's called their care portal. Um, and this is where they have established a group of churches or other organizations who are willing to meet the needs of families as needs arrive. There are also things in the works like pantries, you know, clothing closets, um, places where as, as OCPD works to strengthen their relationships through the community, you know, fed by some of the information that we're giving them as they find things, you know, imagine a police officer comes to your house and then brings you groceries, you know, like how, how different a relationship or a perspective do families have when they're able to um, have that kind of interaction, right? Um, we're, we're working with the CIC, which is the Community Intervention Center, and this is usually, this is PIVOT, and um, PIVOT's involved in a lot of work. I mean, really great organization, but what we're doing is looking at um, how to mitigate things like arrest, you know, in our schools. And when we look at the uh, arrest and, and their protocols, you know, they go through all this screening and they connect the student to services. At what point will that look like a trigger for us in our schools? Because we know connected to student mobility is, um, parents who are switching schools because their, their child gets into a lot of disciplinary issues, right? But imagine if the referral was a trigger for some kind of like mental health protocol, you know, as opposed to um, consequences. So looking into innovative practices like that, you know, what what's behind, what's the root cause of this behavior? You know, is it connected to, um, is it connected to a need that we're not aware of? Like we're looking at expanding our handle with care. Um, if you're not familiar with that, this is when children are directly exposed to or in view of a traumatic event and the police are involved and they, they call us and they say, hey, can you tag handle with care, which means um, out to the schools, you know, this kid is going through something or has been through something traumatic. <clears throat> so we want to expand that 
that view where it's not just you know where the police are involved but where we absolutely know that something is impacting this kid let's tag them as handle with care for the school so we know that if if you do you know if this kid does stand up and do something that's disruptive or has these behaviors you know that is connected to something much deeper than just i want to curse you out today you know or i want to um be disruptive in the classroom so does that really need to look like suspension or in school suspension or does that need to look like counseling services you know so rethinking school you know in in that way because when families feel supported they're less likely to leave the home base of the school to do it for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. You can find all other episodes by subscribing to the Listen Frontier podcast feed. You can find more of our journalism at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for joining us. I'll be back with you next week. <laughs>